know that uh, next uh, next Sunday at uh, 9.30 a.m., we're starting a brand new Sunday school class. And so if you've not been a part of Sunday school in a while and you want to be a part of Sunday school, it's a good time to uh, jump in on day one. You'll be new with everybody else and we'll get to know each other a little bit. And it's uh, a class that's called How Happiness Happens. And so if you want to be more happy, then you can come and learn how to be more happy in a class called How Happiness Happens. Next Saturday, men's breakfast. Men, men, hoping you'll be there next Saturday, men's breakfast, and uh, come and be a part of that. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series um, this morning, and it's called Text. And uh, here's kind of what that's about, text. So I got this thing, it's in my office, and um, it's a quote from Lee Strobel. And uh, Lee Strobel is an author and uh, has had a movie kind of made about his journey uh, finding faith. And he says this, to continue in atheism, okay, first of all, uh, Lee Strobel is not an atheist anymore. Uh, he was. and uh, But he says, to continue in atheism, uh, I need to believe nothing produced everything, non-life produced life, randomness produced fine-tuning, chaos produced information, unconsciousness produced consciousness, and non-reason produced reason. I just didn't have that much faith, he said. And so... um, um, some people, uh, they want to uh, be an atheist, and some people want to uh, live their life uh, outside of faith, and uh, they think that religion is a crutch and things like that, and uh, they, they can do that. They can, they, you know, God's not, uh, you know, we have free will, and if that's the way you want to go through life, um, uh, God is sad for you because um, uh, you are missing a relationship that he wants to have with you, but people think that. And uh, maybe uh, other people, they uh, they don't want to be an atheist because they think that uh, things are not random and things like that. And so they want to be uh, involved with some kind of religion. They want to be involved with the religion in some way. And uh, and so maybe they look to a certain kind of religions to be a part of uh, a religion. And, um, and so what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, and it's going to be kind of a leapfrog game. You ever play leapfrog, you know, and uh, so if we can get a couple people up here to demonstrate that. Leapfrog, leapfrog, you know how to play leapfrog, right? And, uh, and so the way that's going to work is uh, we're going to do two sermons in a row uh, in about a uh, six-week series, uh, then we're going to take a break and uh, because it's a fifth Sunday, and then on that Sunday, we're going to have all of the kids in here, and uh, I'm going to preach down to a level that I can understand, and uh, then the next week, uh, I'm going to be gone, so there's going to be a video sermon, uh, but then when I get back from being gone, and then we're going to jump back into text, and so this morning's sermon, what you need to know about this morning's sermon is this morning's sermon is not very good, um, and it's really just kind of the introduction and a setup for next week, because next week's fantastic. Oh man, next week is so good. Wow. And so this morning, you just got to suffer through this one, and uh, but just uh, sort of let, uh, let anticipation begin to stir, because next week, oh yeah, next week, okay? And so here's the thing, uh, text, we're going to be talking about uh, knowing the story of the Bible, knowing the story of the Bible. We're going to be kind of making our ways, kind of doing an overview of the Bible uh, through this thing. Uh, but where we're going to get started this morning is looking at the uh, looking at the Bible. And so why why the Bible? Why the Bible? Well, uh, there are lots of religious texts that are out there. Maybe you're familiar with the Quran, and uh, the Quran is uh, what uh, the Muslim uh, faith would uh, 
God towards, uh, looked to. And uh, Muslims and uh, that religion kind of came about 300 years after Jesus lived and died and uh, was put into place. And the Quran was supposed to be uh, uh, sort of the, the truth and inspired uh, by God. But what's interesting about it is that there are uh, scientific errors uh, that are in the Quran. It says things like the, uh, the, the moon is actually a star. And uh, we know now that, uh, you know, all these years later, uh, that the, the moon is not a star. And, and, uh, the, you know, you would think, uh, back a couple thousand years ago, it, it says in it that the sun sets into the sea on the horizon. And well, uh, we know, uh, that today, uh, scientifically, that that, that's not the way it works. It literally says that the sun would, uh, disappear into the earth at night. And so, uh, we know that there's, uh, errors there. And so that's why we're not going to study uh, that book. Maybe you're familiar with the, the book of Mormon. And and uh, maybe you know that the Book of Mormon, it, uh, it makes references to battles and cities that are supposed to be in South America. Uh, however, there has never been a single archaeologist that has ever found uh, any of the cities uh, that are mentioned uh, in the Book of Mormon. And so they would say, well, maybe uh, maybe that's made up. Maybe that's made up. Um, years ago, my wife and I were living in Southern California, and so uh, there were times you could go down to uh, Mexico, go down to Tijuana. And uh, you know what they have down there? You can go in about any shop down in Tijuana. I haven't been there for a long time, so I'm assuming it's the same. Uh, but uh, you can go in any shop down there, and you can buy a Rolex. You can buy a Rolex in all of these shops down there. And uh, the, the thing about those Rolexes that you can buy is they are fake. Uh, they're fake. They're imitations. Imitations. Why would anybody, why would anybody make a fake Rolex? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Uh, you, you want people to believe it's the real thing, uh, but uh, you know that it's not the real thing. Why would people do oh, how There's all of these religions. Uh, some people say, well, um, why does God have all of these religions? Well, God would be schizophrenic, right? We've talked about that before. If all of the religions were true, because this one says you got to do it this way, but this one says you got to do it that way. And so where is truth? Where is truth in all of that? Oh, well, the enemy, the deceiver, he's the one that makes the fakes. He makes the fakes because he wants us to think we have something valuable when he knows it's not valuable. So why, so how do we know that uh, the Bible, how do we know the Bible would be uh, outstanding and more true than any other religious text that's out there? And so this morning, we're going to just kind of look at some facts and some information about the Bible. And then next week, we're going to start kind of the knowing the story of the Bible. And so I'm going to close my eyes and count to 10, 1, 2, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Nobody left. All right. All right. So uh, here we go. Um, and uh, so here's the first question that we're going to ask. Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? Uh, someone uh, might think, I, I'm going to be reading, there's just a lot of information here. I'm going to just kind of read it off the page. Um, uh, someone might think that the Bible uh, was just a, simply a book of ideas and handed down from one person to the next uh, person over a short period of time. Or maybe a group of, a group of people got together and said, let's make up a religion. And they sat down and, and wrote out the Bible. Isn't that the way the Bible came about? Well, here's some truth about the Bible. If you got your bulletin there, there's going to be things for you to kind of make some notes there and write some of these things down. The Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors. It was written in 13 countries on three continents and in three languages. So no, it wasn't a group of people that got together to tell this story. Uh, 
Now, some people say that the New Testament, and there are people out there that say, oh, the New Testament, you can't trust anything that's in the New Testament, it has over 200,000 errors in the New Testament. People might say something like that. Here's some fun facts about the New Testament of the Bible. There are only 7,000 959 verses in the New Testament, and there are only 181,253 words in the New Testament, and so it'd be kind of hard to come up with 200, over 200,000 errors to kind of do the math there. And so how do we know that the Bible is reliable, okay? Uh, why isn't it like any other religious text? How does it set apart from any other religious text? How do we know that it is reliable? Uh, we will start with uh, how the information was recorded. How did the Old Testament, you know, that's, you go back to Egyptian times, right? And, and these things are supposedly taking place um, uh, before the time of the land of Egypt and the pyramids and all of that stuff. And so how do we know that it was reliable? How was it recorded? And you know, they, uh, they, they couldn't Google it, right? And they couldn't, there was no internet then. Uh, they couldn't uh, just kind of, you know, airdrop it from one device to another. Uh, they couldn't even hit print on their, uh, their keyboard. Right, you know how. So, how was it recorded and preserved uh, time after time after time? Well, here's how all literature of the day was recorded. Are you ready? Riveting, riveting, isn't it? Riveting. And so, here's how all of the all information was recorded uh, from those times. The first one is this. Stone pictographs. Here's a picture of a stone pictograph. Hieroglyphics. You've heard of hieroglyphics. Uh, most famous are the Egyptian ones. You and maybe eh? what's this? Walk like an Egyptian, right? And the only reason that you know that is because you've seen the hieroglyphics, right? Uh, walk like, and you, you know the song. If you, in the 80s, you knew the song. And so hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics out there. Um, and so, uh, hieroglyphics, the most famous ones are the Egyptian ones. Um, is this is a form, uh, or this particular, uh, for this, hieroglyphic that is here, this stone pictograph, uh, is from, uh, Iraq and it's dated around 2500 BC, about the time that Abraham, remember, God goes to Abraham, he's living in Ur, he says, I want you to leave Ur and go to the promised land. And so this is dated about the time, this stone pictograph is dated at that time. There's another stone. And then after those form of communications, it was stone tablets, stone tablets. And this particular one was is also from Iraq and is dated around 700 B.C., around the time of Isaiah. Remember he said 700 B.C.? Remember, remember that verse? We looked at a verse in December that Isaiah wrote. Anybody remember that one? He will be called, that's right, mighty God, wonderful counselor, okay. And there was, remember Isaiah wrote that about 700 B.C. This is a, a stone writing that was uh, archaeologists found. And, uh, and then after uh, stone tablets were kind of in play, then they went to clay. They went to clay. Uh, clay uh, was really, really easy to write on, and um, then it could be heated up and uh, permanently preserved. And uh, this one is also from Iraq, and it dated around 2400 B.C., and uh, clay. Then after uh, clay was used, then they'd be, they, sometimes they would use wood. Here's a, a copy of a piece of uh, wood. It says, uh, wood was easy to work with, but uh, it didn't last very long. And there are not very many of these in existence today. And um, uh, this one is from Egypt. It was discovered in Egypt around, it's dated 1500 BC, about the time that Moses uh, was in, uh, was uh, the time of Moses. And um, I'll read about Moses in the book of Exodus, right? And then after uh, wood and the other way that the uh, any uh, stories or scripts or writings were translated from one uh, generation to the next generation carried on, the next style was uh, papyrus. 
And this was made of peeling a skin uh, to a, a type of, from a type of reed and then laying them over. It's kind of weaving wet uh, skins of reed. And um, uh, they would lay them across from one another, kind of weave them together when they were still wet. Uh, and then they would put them under a lot of pressure. Uh, this papyrus uh, sheet is from Egypt, uh, about 10 years before the birth of Jesus. That's dated. And so it was, uh, then another one was volume or, or uh, parchment. And um, they uh, separated layers of skin and tanned them very carefully and sort of made it stretchable and pliable. It's kind of like leather. And then, then they, would, um, uh, they would write on those. Trans, here we go. Um, so that is how the information was recorded on those kinds of things. And um, But here's an overview of the Bible. And so we're talking about primarily the Old Testament here. Um, it was generation after generation after generation was held, uh, passed on that way. And um, so the word uh, Bible, what does the word Bible mean? What does the word Bible mean? It simply means a collection of books. Okay, what does the word books mean? That's right. Um, so... Uh, books or a collection of books. It's what the uh, uh, the word Bible. Uh, its root word is where we get the word library today. And so the Bible is simply a collection of books. The Bible is a collection of books. And um, the Old Testament, uh, which is made up of 39 books, and they're shorter books, and the New Testament, uh, which is composed of 27 books, and the word testament, the word, so you got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the word testament there, it means covenant or agreement. There's the old agreement, the old contract, the old covenant, and then the new uh, agreement, the New Testament, the new contract. And that, that's the story of the Bible between uh, things leading up to Jesus, the old, and then when Jesus comes, it's the new it's divided up that way: the old covenant and the new covenant. Parts of the old test, parts of the Old Testament, were actually preserved in all of the previous forms that I had mentioned: stone and and clay and whatever, and uh, and um, <clears throat> the forms, and they were copied in all of those forms. But most common from uh, most common uh, form was um, in using scrolls and written out on scrolls. And so uh, how do uh, uh, how are the scriptures copied from generation after generation after generation after generation? The majority of the Old Testament uh, was written out on scrolls, scrolls. And scribes, scribes would write on these scrolls. And uh, they were uh, leather scrolls and they would be sewn together and they might be rolled out and they might be 35 or 40 feet long, some of these. Uh, scrolls. And uh, so how would they go about that? Scribes would uh, use a quill, uh, like a feather, and they would dip it in an inkwell, and, and they would uh, write those out. And they would do that on a thing called a scriptorium. Here's a picture of a scriptorium. You ever seen a scriptorium? Any of you guys, any of you scribes? Any of you out there scribes? Scribes? Any scribes? No. Uh, probably not a lot of scribes employed today, right? And uh, like blacksmiths, you know, they kind of went away. Um, and, uh, and so they would sit at a scriptorium, 
and they would uh, and they would write these things out. And uh, the, here's a here's a picture of uh, what one of those might look like. And um, this is written Hebrew. And what's interesting about Hebrew is Hebrew reads left to right. It reads left to right, not right to left. Uh, but the scribes would sit down at these scriptoriums, and um, and so they would have one document. And uh, you know, it's starting to get older, and it's starting to get weathered. And so now they know that they need to uh, be able to pass it down to the next generation. And so they didn't just go to Kinkos. Is there Kinkos anymore? Anybody remember Kinkos? You know what a Kinkos is? Anybody? Staples? Staples? You go print your stuff at Staples? Um, uh, yeah, what is it? Office Max? Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, okay. Uh, so they couldn't go to it, right? And so what they would do, what they would do is they would have a copy of it here, and um, uh, this scribe would read it off to this scribe, and he would be writing it down. Right uh, from uh, from left to right, and be writing it down. And then when they would get done with a page, uh, then uh, this guy would count how many letters are one here. Five hundred five hundred characters on this page. Now you count yours. Yep, I got five hundred. All right, so you know we we must be the same. Uh, now let's count to the center backwards. Two hundred fifty. Uh, I've got a I've got a letter E. You got yep E. And so they would they would uh, go over them uh, very care, carefully, meticulously, because they wanted to make sure that it was an exact copy uh, from one uh, to the next, so that it would be well preserved. Because they knew it was holy scripture, and they wanted to be well preserved from generation after generation after generation. So, uh, why would they take uh, so much time to do that? Well, they would take uh, time to do that so that people would be able to say, "Yes, it's true and reliable." Now. Um, we've talked about this kind of thing in here before. If we were to play the telephone game, remember the telephone game? And so uh, we come back here and Jeremiah's sitting back here and you say, Jeremiah, okay, whisper uh, something into the guy, you know, and, and, and then you kind of, you, you tell that story through the, the way all, you get all the way back here and Joyce is back here. And, um, and, and then we say, Joyce, what did Jeremiah say, right? What are the odds that that's going to be the same, right? And so people look at scripture. And they say, well, how do we know that scripture wasn't just sort of tweaked a little bit and changed a little bit over time and that that story over the 1500 years, it didn't change and evolve a little bit uh, so that uh, they could make Jesus fit into the narrative. Well, how do we, how do we know that? Well, what's interesting about that is um, a little thing. And I believe with all my heart that God gave us this gift. I really do. I think God gave us this gift. Because picture, I've talked about this before, but to me it's just one of the neatest things that God has done for us. It's just incredible. And so let's go back to the scribes. You got two scribes sitting here, right? And you got a scribe that's got the document, and then you got the, the perfectly copied document. And then they take these two documents, and one guy, he goes down to uh, uh, the library and he puts it in the library, but this guy takes his copy and he goes and he puts it in a vault. Locks it, right? Then it's, it's inside this vault. Now, the one that went to the library, uh, many people are reading it and looking at it, and, thing, and then they say, well, you know what we need to do? Uh, we need to make a copy of that because this copy's wearing out. So they hand it back to the scribes, and the scribes make a copy, and they make a copy, and they make a copy. And for, um, for 2,000 years, they just make copy after copy after copy. <clears throat> well, after 2,000 years, what would happen if you you, you, you took this copy that had been handed down generation after generation and written and written and written generation after generation, and then 2,000 years later, you open the vault. And you go, hmm, are they the same? 
What are the odds, statistically, that they would be exactly the same, right? Well, you guys know the story. You know where I'm going with that thing. I think it's just a gift from God. Um, here's a picture of the caves, uh, over uh, the Quran caves. And uh, maybe you're familiar with, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls. That's exactly what happened. Um, and about uh, 90 AD, uh, there was an invasion that took place in Jerusalem. And so the, uh, the Jews were scared and they grabbed up all of their scrolls. There was a certain sect of Jews. They grabbed up all of their scrolls and all of their writings and they went and they hid them in these caves. And then uh, in 1947, uh, there was a, uh, um, um, what's it called, a shepherd uh, that was tending to his flocks, and one of them went up into the cave, and uh, and so he hucks a rock up into this cave, trying to get his uh, sheep to come out of there, and he hears something that sounds like clay uh, shattering, and he goes up in there, and they discover in this cave, there's all of these jars, and I've talked about this thing before, and then archaeologists ascend, uh, 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 descend, ascend, descend upon there, and they, and they grab a all of these things, and then it took them years and years and years to uh, unravel those scrolls that were in these clay jars. And, and now you can go into Jerusalem today up onto the Temple Mount, and you can see um, these are preserved. And what they discovered uh, was uh, the, I think I got a picture of uh, Psalms here. So what they discovered was what they discovered was everything that they had in you know in 1947 when the guy bought his brand new copy of the Bible and and was going through it. And uh, um, it's I, I shouldn't say it like that. I shouldn't say it so lightly because obviously it would have been in English or whatever you know. But uh, when they uh, when the archaeologists went line by line and looked at these things that had been uh, for 1,500 years in this cave, and they compared it to the text that they were looking, it was the same. It was the same, it was the same, it was the same. Absolutely incredible. The Bible is so unique. It is so unique compared to any other uh, document on planet Earth. And so that's why we're going to be talking about the text, the text, the text. What is in the story of the Bible? New Testament. <clears throat> New Testament. Um, <clears throat> uh, while the Old Testament books... It took hundreds of years to be written. The New Testament uh, was uh, completed within the span of about 50 years. Uh, these books were originally just a bunch of letters. You ever heard somebody say when you're reading the New Testament, you're reading other people's mail? Um, and um, Because you're reading uh, these letters that were written to the churches. And uh, there were uh, particular letters that were written to uh, churches and individuals, and uh, we know them as the New Testament. The earliest writing, uh, the, the earliest written book in the New Testament is the book of Mark, and it uh, dates about 50, 50 A.D. 50 A.D. It was uh, the earliest one. Question. How did these books or these letters... Uh, if there were all these letters that were written from, you know, church leader to church leader and churches, and, and this was all circulating around there, there's a letter that Paul writes to an individual, and here's a letter that Paul writes to a church, and how did, how did they get incorporated into, how did that become uh, what we call the New Testament today? Um, the New Testament church, um, they were just reading Paul's letters. And uh, what was what were the documents or what was the Bible that the New Testament church was studying? Because the, the New Testament is the story of the New Testament uh, starting and the life of Jesus and things like that. And so when uh, Jesus was reading scripture, what were they reading? They were reading from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so it's called the Pentateuch. 
And that contains uh, the story of creation and the exodus and, and all of that, uh, the founding of the faith. It contains the Old Testament law. And so the, while they were studying, the New Testament church was studying those things, uh, it also began to become clear, we need to be paying attention to what Jesus taught, and we need to be paying attention to what the apostles are teaching us. And so uh, then began the work of collecting and putting together uh, the New Testament books, uh, the, the collection of the New Testament. Uh, canon questions. So, if the, in the first century Christians uh, treated Old Testament, uh, so, uh, several of the books in the New Testament uh, were con, uh, were considered as early as the second century. So, I'm going to read that uh, verse again. Several of the books in the New Testament uh, were considered as early as the second century. That would be after Jesus' uh, death, burial, and resurrection, uh, to be divinely inspired scripture. Uh, by the middle of the 4th century, these 27 books were accepted by the church as being divinely inspired and worthy of inclusion in the New Testament. Okay, And so how did they go about, what criteria did they use to say, well, this letter is divinely inspired, but this letter is not divinely inspired? Well, since you guys all know that, we'll see you next week, right? Okay, here we go. Uh, so how did they use, what criteria did they use um, for that? And so uh, number one is this, to consider, uh, for it to be considered inspired, a letter had to be authored by an apostle, or an associate of an apostle, or a relative of Jesus. That's how. And so, uh, an apostle, and so we know that Paul uh, uh, wrote those things, and, and, uh, and Matthew wrote uh, those things, and, and uh, so it was an apostle, or it was an associate of an apostle, and so we, and um, maybe you remember that Paul at the, kind of closes out the book of Romans, and um, he says that uh, uh, my good buddy here, Tetrium, is writing this uh, for me, and so he was telling him what to write, and he was writing it uh, because he was getting older and his eyesight was getting bad, and then uh, uh, James was the brother, uh, biological brother of Jesus. And, um, uh, and so, you know, he's uh, one of the guys that wrote them. And then here's another criteria to be considered inspired or in the canon of the new Testament, a letter had to contain, um, uh, divinely inspired truth that could be taught as consistent Christian teachings. And so there were no outliers out there. Um, and uh, so if somebody came up with an idea that they had never heard any of the apostles talk about or Jesus talk about, they would say, uh, that can't be from God. And so they canonized all of that about 300 years after, uh, 300 years into um, uh, the, the New Testament church being started. So how did the New Testament writings get passed on from generation to generation? How did the New Testament writings get passed on from generation to generation? The New Testament times uh, were a little more advanced than the Old Testament times. <clears throat> Instead of using um, uh, scrolls or wood or uh, papyrus or uh, those things, uh, they used a thing called a codex. Here's a picture of a codex. It's a book. <clears throat> and uh, uh, this was leather skin, and they would begin to kind of trim those up and, and <clears throat> put them together. Facts about the Bible. Uh, the Bible is the best preserved ancient book, period. I've talked about these things at length. I love this stuff. Um, the Bible is the best preserved ancient book, period. And uh, some examples. Uh, 
Um, Aristotle. You've heard of Aristotle. And if you had to study philosophy or uh, maybe even if you were studying um, uh, uh you know, you're going to be a literature major or something like that. Uh, maybe you had to study Aristotle's uh, metaphysics. And um, it was composed, listen to this, it was composed 380 B.C., Aristotle's metaphysics, okay? But the earliest available manuscripts are 1,400 years later. What's that mean? And so we say, uh, you're taking um, a literature class, and they say, okay, we're going to be, you need to write an essay on Aristotle's metaphysics. And so you'd go and you would read uh, what is attributed to being written uh, by Aristotle in his uh, notes called uh, Metaphysics. And you would study those things. And nobody's going to dispute that. Nobody's going to stand up and say, um, well, he didn't really say that. And you can't really believe that. And that's not true. And you can't put your faith in that. And they just sort of take it for granted that this is what he did. However, archaeologists... Uh, cannot make any reference to what he wrote at the time that he was alive. Uh, they've simply discovered uh, copies or manuscripts, uh, and they date them back from today. They're dated back <clears throat> 1,400 years afterwards, which means uh, archaeologists have discovered things about uh, the year 1,400, and they say uh, these writings are dated 1,400 and when they were written, and when we look at them, they seem to match up with uh, what we would attribute today to what Aristotle said back then, but there's 1,400-year gap. We don't we attribute it to him, but don't know. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Uh, several other examples. I'll not, not be so lengthy. Um, uh, Tactius uh, was a Roman historian and a politician, and he died uh, at uh, 130 AD. But only two ancient copies of his work survive, both written uh, more than 1,000 years after his death. Uh, Virgil's, uh, it's called the uh, uh, Aeneid, and he was an ancient Roman composer and lived about 100 B.C., and fragments from um, uh, that were found in Pompeii, uh, they dated about 500 A.D., and uh, so there's giant gaps in between when they found them and when they were written. Uh, there are only seven ancient copies of Plato, five of Aristotle, and only ten from Caesar himself. There's only 10 copies. And so uh, what's all that mean? I told you uh, that the Bible, uh, especially the New Testament, is the most documented book, ancient book, period, in history, no comparison. Uh, they kind of rate here, and the Bible rates way up here in terms of factual, archaeological, historical evidence that the Bible was written in the way that it was written at the time it was written, and therefore the things that were written about were not made up. Listen to these facts. <clears throat> when it comes to the New Testament letters, we have nearly 6,000 ancient Greek manuscripts from the first 300 years of Christianity. Many of them copied less than 30 years after the original letters were written and circulated within the lifetimes of the people who were they were written about. So within 30 years of the time that they were written about. We have over 10,000 ancient Latin manuscripts from the New Testament from the same time period, plus another 1,000 copies that were translated into other languages of the time. Boom. That's it. 
Why do, you, why, why do we need to know that? Uh, we need to know that for a couple of reasons. Number one, more and more and more and more and more, nobody believes that's true. Uh, the world is moving away from biblical truth at an exponential rate. And most people don't want to do their homework. Most people, uh, especially young people today, they're not really interested in truth. They're interested in uh, what their friends say on TikTok. And uh, that is their truth. And that is where they get uh, their references for their uh, worldview. Uh, And it's lost and it's broken. We, however, uh, can trust and believe that Scripture is true. And the Bible tells us uh, that God is real and that he loves us and that he has revealed himself to us through history. He has revealed, God has revealed himself to us through history and history has been well documented and we can believe it. And we can believe it. And some of the greatest things that have been documented for us that we can look at, uh, not to put our faith in, but to help us bridge the gap, is the New Testament and the story that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life with God in heaven. It's not a big leap of faith. You don't have to just throw yourself off a cliff and say, well, guess God's going to catch me. It's a lot of evidence. And the story that he tells and reveals to us is incredible. And the way that it unpacks and is revealed and the way that the story of the Old Testament dovetails into and feathers its way into the New Testament is fantastic. It's awesome. It's inspiring. Listen. Um, I don't know where you are with your journey with Christ. If you don't know him, come back, learn about him, invest in him. If you know him, leave here knowing that your faith is on solid footings. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for what you have given to us. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.